0: Welcome to Ridgecrest Baptist. We thank you for listening. Now, here is this week's message. When I want to ask you to take your Bibles tonight and open them to Judges chapter 17. Judges 17, verses 1 through 6 is our text tonight. You know, I meet a lot of people, uh, and a lot of times when I meet people, they say, I know a, another David Mills. And they'll ask me if that's my father, or if I know that person. And yeah, we'll begin to talk about how we know uh, the characteristics that make that individual David Mills different from me, and uh, I, I, got a, I used to be amazed at how many people had the same name I have, but uh, every one of them has always been a very uh, quality person and never done anything wrong, and I'm thankful for that because I heard a story of the uh, Adrian Rogers, who was one of the great preachers. Uh, when I was uh, coming up through beginning to feel like God was calling me to preach, and I, I spent a lot of time listening to Adrian Rogers, and he told a story about how he would, uh, was uh, having a problem with a guy down in Florida where he was pastoring, he kept getting arrested, whose name was Adrian Rogers. And of all things, he got—he would get arrested for uh, breaking game and fish laws, where he was going around hunting and fishing and do, doing things illegal. And the newspaper would say, "Adrian Rogers of Florida arrested, you know, for illegal turkey hunting." And the question becomes: How do you know uh, the person you're talking about? What is the the way by which we can distinguish uh, David Mills from another? Uh, David Mills, or from an Adrian Rogers, from another Adrian Rogers. And the answer is there has to be some sort of uh, truth. There has to be some source of truth that would define the facts so we could say that there are facts that are truth that we can use to define which person we're talking about. And that's really the nature of of the sermon tonight in terms of how we know who God is and what God is like and what is the source that we would know God by the facts, the truth. And we're looking at a portion of Scripture tonight that I'm I'm confident as we go through the rest of Judges, and I don't know how many sermons that will comprise at this point, but I believe it'll be a, a for many of us, uncharted territory, or for many of you that maybe take notes in your Bible, you would see that there's not a lot of notes in there from previous sermons. It's a portion of Scripture that's usually skipped over or not even taught when we do Sunday school Bible sessions on the book of Judges, and it's usually kind of, the Judges usually comes to an end in most studies with the life of Samson, but there's actually five chapters after the story of Samson, and I'm a firm believer that every word in the Bible is there for a purpose. And so I'm excited that we're exploring this uh, part of the scriptures on one hand. But on the other hand, I know and I've read it, and I know why it's often not preached, especially when we get into chapters 19, 20, and 21. And I, we're going to have to proceed with caution in those chapters because it's some of the darkest and bleakest portions of scripture and really is probably borderline R rated. Uh, it's, you know, it's it's uncomfortable reading in those chapters with what's happening because what's happening in that culture at the end of Judges is what happens in a culture when the Word of God is removed. And that's essentially what's happening is the source of truth is removed in Israel, in ancient Israel, and society collapses. And so as we proceed, uh, obviously that should speak to us today because we are living in a culture today, in a society today, that has done exactly that. We have removed the, the source of truth from our society. And in, in a sense, it's prophetic for me to preach these, these last five chapters because I feel as if I'm uh, declaring prophecy over the United States unless God sovereignly intervenes and changes our course. So we certainly want to be protected. In those, in those ways, the, the sermons are somewhat dark and bleak, and, but again, it's the reality of the text, and I, I don't want us to skip over this, and I want us to understand what God has for us tonight. I know he's got a word for us, so listen, uh, listen as I read. Judges chapter 17, verses 1-6 through 6 says, Now there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah, He said to his mother, the eleven hundred pieces of silver which were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse in my hearing. Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, blessed be my son by the Lord. He then returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother, and his mother said, I wholly dedicate the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now therefore I will return them to you. So when he returned the silver to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave them to the silversmith who made them into a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and household idols and consecrated one of his sons that he might become his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. But with this picture, what we're going to find is we're now into a period of time where there are no more judges. Samson died in the last episode. And with the death of Samson, now there's not going to be any more rescuer saviors on the horizon. And we're off the Ferris wheel of failure because it's it's collapsed. The Ferris wheel of failure that was going around with these different judges has really collapsed into a, a graveyard spiral where everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And if I had to define America today and if somebody said, what's our code of morality, I would say everybody does what's right in their own eyes. And so if you could ever have people say the Bible's not relevant and the Old Testament's not relevant, they haven't read the book of Judges. The point of Judges is we need a better rescuer than we can find amongst ourselves. We need one who is sympathetic and like us, who understands our needs, but who is better than us and who is divine and holy. We need a divine king who's like us. And that's the the text that's really pointing forward uh, to Christ throughout the book of uh, Judges. That we need one true Savior. That's been the title of our sermon series. Folks, I just want to encourage you tonight to really understand that there's some implications here. Let's be people that don't look to people um, to be our one true Savior. I mean, we don't want to look to children to save us. We don't want to look to grandchildren to save us. We don't want to look to a spouse to be our Savior. We don't want to look to a politician to be our Savior. And that's uh, one of the major takeaways in the book of Judges. And again, that that's a parallel to the American landscape. We're constantly defaulting to look to people to do what only God can do. And just like in this culture, we've removed God, and the way we remove God is by removing the Word of God as the source of truth that we need to define who God is. And that's why the only hope that America has today is to return to the true saving gospel and to return to the Bible and what the Bible says about God. And so tonight, what I'm really trying to urge you to do as a person that's here tonight is to examine your. commitment to the Bible as the Word of God and to model that for other people, to know, to believe that the Bible is God's truth and source of truth and to be able to say it's objective truth, that it's not subject to human opinion, and to be able to stand on that and know the Bible and live it out so that you're making decisions uh, and you're living out the Bible for people to see as an example of what it looks like to be a biblical Christian. And if you're wavering on that, maybe I'm talking to somebody tonight, maybe a young person, but I'm going to tell you, you've got to make a decision and you've got to make a commitment that you're going to live out Christianity through the Word of God. Otherwise, if we don't do this, we're going to default into Christianity on our own terms, and we'll say Christianity is on my terms. And very soon, uh, we're going to be uh, seeing a lot of problems that accompany that. I have to... I was thinking a little while ago that our coins, you know, say in God we trust. Sometimes uh, I think that we need to rewrite those and say in a God we trust. The rejection of the Bible is a huge problem in our culture, but I'm going to tell you something else. It's a huge problem in the church across America because here's what happens. When people begin to lose the authority of Scripture, when the authority of the Bible is not... Um, upheld, what happens is people begin to believe that in their spirit that they can live out Christianity so that their source of being able to know who God is and fellowship with God is primarily guided by their feelings and by their sense of the the spirit. And when we begin to do that, if we don't have the word of God to make sure that we stay in line with the, the truth of who God is, then it really can become a point at which we downgrade the scriptures and eventually we begin to have an impact on other people where they very likely are not ever going to be saved. And that's what's happened to a lot of churches where you have a generation of people that are saved and they believe in the Bible uh, for a while, but as they begin to question it and they begin to move away from it, maybe as a denomination as a, a large body of people, then they begin eventually to get to a place where that Christianity ceases to be true saving Christianity. And so there's a lot of dangers involved in when we look at this text tonight to avoid in our lives, both on a personal level, on the level of a church. And it's a, a serious threat to the gospel also, so it would impact future people as well. And we see, again, uh, many people in America claim to be Christians. And I wrote this before this uh, weekend, but it was uh, one of the speakers yesterday was talking about people checking boxes, whether what your religion is. I believe it was one of uh, the the second speaker, he said that he saw a study that said 74% of people in America call themselves Christians. And his point was similar to what I'm trying to make here, is that many of those people have redefined what being a Christian truly is. And it is a term in the Bible where people were called followers of Christ, they were Christians. But what's happening in America today is Christianity has become a religion and not a relationship. So again, the purpose of this sermon, on a personal level for you here tonight, what I'm asking you to do is to evaluate Your commitment to the Bible is truth. And to make a decision and to live out your life according to what the truth of God's Word is, because it is the primary means by which God will communicate to you who He is and what His will is for your life. And the primary way that you want to interact with God is through His Word. It guides you as as a... It keeps you from going off course. It's a plumb line of truth, and it keeps you from going into heresies in your life. And so again that that's what the overarching purpose of this and what I want to do is just for, very quickly show you five problems that are that are in this text that come about when you walk away from scripture as God's truth. And the uh, the biggest problem that overrides all five of those is something I've already basically mentioned which is saving faith can become a religion. It can become a uh, religion sends you to hell, folks. Religion doesn't save you. It's a relationship you got to have. And so uh, the, the overarching problem is movement away from where Christianity actually becomes non-Christianity. It's Christianity in, in name only. And, I, and, you know, even uh, tonight, there are a lot of people that would say, we've got to almost caveat what we mean by the term Christians today. That's one reason i use the term evangelical because to be an, now we've had to distinguish between people that are just christian in in intellectual agreement to the facts of the bible but from those people to those people like that jesus talked to nicodemus about where he said you got to be born again and so we have to now we're having to distinguish in the, in the world we live in between quote christians the 74% and those who have been born again Christians which I would define as the true Christians the I want and I don't think we'll ever go back to that but I I wish we had those days when you said you were a Christian when that meant you were born again so the the problems that come about can be seen and the first problem with scripture Being abandoned as a guide to a culture and as a guide in your own life is number one. People begin to treat God as a good luck charm to bless them. And the emphasis on blessing from God and God existing in order to bless me. Let me just give you some things to think about about this text. The text opens, and the narrator is brilliant in the book of Judges. He probably would have got a Nobel Prize for writing this if he wrote it today. I mean, a a Pulitzer Prize for writing it today, because his his, uh, writing is so subtle and beautiful. And what he says here is, now there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And a lot of that we miss because we're not Jewish, but the phrase, now there was a man, means... This is this is marking an, an, not a cycle like we've seen with these other rescuer judges, but a different situation where we're now looking at normal life from ground level in Israel. He's basically saying there's, there was a man, there was an average Joe. This is an average guy. And he lived in the hill country of Ephraim. That was in the very center of Israel. That was the heart of the nation. So it was, I mean, it was like... You know, the the heart of who God's people were supposed to be. He was an average guy from the very heart of who God's people uh, were supposed to, to witness for the world. It says, it would be, uh, the way I equate this, it's, it's like saying there was a middle-class guy from Kansas. You know, if I said that, you would think that's the average American guy that's living in the middle of America today. That's who this Micah is. And Micah means who is like Yahweh. Very much like what we just sang in this, this song and talked about this sense of awe and, 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 and majesty that we should constantly be living in where we're supposed to really reflect. And we hear the name Micah and it should cause us to reflect on who is, who is like Yahweh? Who is like Jesus? And the answer, of course, is to be no one. That's why we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And there's no one like him. And we're supposed to see this in this man's life. That was what he was created for. That was what Israel was created for. They were to be a a nation, a priest, Exodus 19, 6, to make Yahweh's name known to the world, not to keep them for themselves, but to expand his glory globally as a nation of priests and missionaries. It was the Old Testament Great Commission. and Yahweh was supposed to be seen in this man's life, and he was a thoroughly Jewish man in the middle of the Israel, and he was supposed to be a witness for Yahweh, but instead we see that he is giving back 1,200 pieces of silver that he stole from his mother. You know, on ESPN, they got this little segment that I like. It's called, Come on, man. And it will somebody will do something really, really unbelievable. And the commentators, the sports commentators, it'll be like a sports moment where you do something so, I mean, like some professional athlete will do something so silly. That it's so stupid that nobody should ever do that in a professional sport. And the announcers will all say, Come on, man. This is a come on, man, moment. You don't steal from your mother. Come on, man. That's as sorry as it gets. That's the point. He's an average Israelite and supposed to be a believer, and he's stealing from his mother. And he, he hears his mother curse the person that stole the money And out of superstition and fear that he's going to be cursed of God, he gives the money back. Not to glorify God, not out of guilt, uh, not out of um, doing the right thing at all. It was just simply to put himself in a place where he'd get good karma from God. That's his view of Christianity, so to speak. That's Christianity on my terms. It's good karma uh, religion. And it's human-centric, where our reaction is self-centered, and our reaction is, i got to put myself in a place where I will benefit from whatever religious activity I'm doing. And I want to do things that put myself into a place where God is going to have to give me good luck. And the mother is not much better off. She takes the money back... And rather than addressing the sin in her family, rather than saying this this is something that is contrary to the Word of God and God's holiness, she blesses her son for returning the money he stole from her and then gives the money, in total, 1,100 coins, to make a graven image to an idol but then only gives the silversmith 200 of the 1100 pieces that she dedicated to the Lord's idol. So it's like this, it's like this cycle of bam 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 incongru- incongruities with what it means to be like Yahweh. And it's it's a sad picture of what happens in Israel when God's word is removed as a source of truth. I mean, think about just some of the basic problems that are lost here when there's no moral truth and moral compass in this culture. First of all Exodus 20 verse 4 which is the second great commandment, you shall make no you shall not make for yourself an idol that one went out the window and Micah violated the fifth commandment to honor his mother by stealing the money that he had and again the mother is is promoting idolatry as well and if you think about the question, all of this, who, why are they doing this? The answer is they're doing this in the name of the Lord. Essentially what's happened is they have redefined who God is. They have lost the picture of who God is because they have no source of truth. We have to have the special revelation of God's scriptures in order to keep us in truth. If we don't, then we're going to begin to get into these problems. And the first one is we begin to see God as a good luck charm. We bring him down. We lose the awe of God when we fail to see who God is as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. It's the Scriptures that teach us the the awe and majesty of who God is. That's one reason that you need that quiet time every day where it's just you and the Bible you're reading the Scripture, and God is talking to you through the Scriptures, and you're praying and interacting with God, and it will help you to be able to be prepared on Sundays and to be able to, uh, again, to be able to reflect, to be able to say, and people will begin to see in your life that there's something different in you. I'm seeing that you're saying there's no one like Jesus who is like Yahweh. And the answer is no one. Let me show that to you in my life. But it's because of the Word and how the Word guides us into understanding who He is. And the, the holiness of God, the seriousness of sin, all of this is lost when the Scriptures are not central. And it leads to a second problem when the Bible is not followed. But, and that is, number two, God is redefined to conform to human desires. This is, I want you to think about America today. When God is not defined by the Bible, very quickly he becomes something altogether different than how he is described in the Bible. God is redefined in order to conform to human desires. We have to have the special revelation of the scriptures, those specific words that teach us, and they have to be our source of truth, or else we're simply going to begin to make God into something altogether different. We're going to make him into an, an image, a graven image, and put him in our homes. And that God is going to be the God that we're trusting in. In God, in a God we trust. Whose definition of God are we using? And Americans want to believe that God is a God um, that's very different than what the Bible teaches. And we Know that the first thing that you always hear about society is that God is love. And that God is so loving, He's not going to send anybody to hell. At least that's what we would like to believe. We all want to believe that. But that's not what the Bible teaches. You know, the, the new God in America now accepts all religions. The new God in America now says, that even if you deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God risen from the grave and you say, I will not bow to him as Lord, you're still going to hell as long as you're sincere in whatever you do believe about God. Going to heaven, excuse me. You know, this thing about being sincere now is the the benchmark of, of, of what God uses when people die and determine whether they're going to heaven or hell. And it's a new God. It's a God that oftentimes gets couched in the terms of my Jesus. My Jesus would never do this. My Jesus would never do blank. Or I like to think of God as a God who is blank. I don't know if you've ever talked to people and somebody has said, well, I like to think of God as a God that does this. And usually it's something like accepts all people. If they have a heart, that's not like mass murdering people. And so what we have to understand, for example, is oftentimes the people that are speaking, they have some elements about God that are true. And that's part of the problem. It's what I call half-truths. So, it's so it, it begins to become a hybrid of who the true God in the Bible is, when, because you can you can show the Bible does teach that God is love. But the question is, what does the Bible mean by love? Part of love is being just. Part of love is being righteous. Part of love is being holy. And so God's justice demands punishment of rebellion against him as king. And I remember, um, this is not something that's unique just to non-Christians. I had a lady... Tell me, um one time she said, I don't think the book of Job should be in the Bible. My God would never put Job through what he had to go through. So we need to take that out of the book out of the Bible. And so we all need to resolve, you know, once and for all in our life, and then and, and many of you have, I'm sure, but if you're still on that edge tonight, I just want to I just want to urge you tonight to realize that you've got to make a decision about what the authority in your li- your your life is, and I want to urge you tonight just say, "God's word is truth. I believe it, and I'm going to live my life by." It. And if you're if you're out there as a Christian uh, tonight, the, and I want to ask you to live it out, so it inspires others, so that we prevent these problems from happening. Uh, I'm troubled by this this because i don't know if they 're converted or not, you know, and oftentimes i can 't tell when I look at a person if they 're a true born again Christian or not, we just simply don't have that ability. Jesus always did. He could look right at somebody and say you know if they were saved or not, but we can 't do that i would I would lean toward thinking they're not because there's zero guilt in their life i mean what troubles me about this and without when I hear about people that call the name of Christ and say I'm a Christian and have no guilt for sin in their life. That's troubling. And I mean they are they are violating some major commands of scripture here that are very obvious and grave and serious sins of idolatry. And as far as they're concerned, they're doing the right thing. That's the thing that scares me. And again, there are a lot of people out there that are calling themselves Christians tonight and they're in churches And they're violating the Bible, but they have no guilt about it, and they really feel like they're doing the right thing because they have conformed God into an image that's different from how He is in the Scriptures because they don't believe the Bible is still God's Word, it's still truth, it's still relevant. They've moved beyond that. And it leads to a third problem whenever that is happening in a person's life. When you're moving away from God as He is defined in the Scripture, then the next... Problem is number three, determining right and wrong becomes a matter of opinion. And again, recall that um, Judges has made a point up until this point to reuse an opening refrain where every time that a new judge would come on the scene, the Bible would say that the people did evil in the sight of the Lord. The people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And as it went on, we lost that. With 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 the last judge, now it has transitioned and become now where everyone is doing right in their own eyes. This is America, and this is what's happening to us today. We basically vote in America on morality in terms of whether something is a sin or not. It really is the, the opinions of society as a whole today. That's... That's why America is under judgment today. And that's why today it's a dark picture of our future, just like it is in Israel in this text here. God is supposed to be king of Israel. When it says in those days Israel had no king, it is an implication of their unwillingness to follow God. He was the one that was supposed to be their king. They weren't supposed to have a human king. God was their king. And instead of wanting a king, they're just wanting to do what's right in their own eyes today. So basically, we have a picture of the future of America, If, if again, and the question becomes, how does this work out? How does it work out when a culture does this? And I know this is not an uplifting lesson, but I think for us it can be encouraging if we realize the power of God's Word in our own lives, and our own families. And we see it's encouraging if you see what the devil is going to try to do to your family and the need for you to cling to the Word of God in order to prevent it from happening. And what we end up seeing take place here in this family, in the remainder of the book of Judges, is going to be, and you're welcome to read ahead and I would encourage you to do that, but it's not going to be uplifting. I can just give you a forewarning. That it becomes very troubling what happens in a culture when there's no authority because now God is being um, redefined and right and wrong has been lost, and it's a picture of America today. And in verse 5, Micah, he even goes a step further. He begins now to have his own types of um, religion. His son is not a Levite. He brings his son in as his priest he builds an a, what's called an ephod, which was what God had told the high priest to wear. It was, it was ordained of God. It was only to be used of God for the purpose of determining God's will. And only the high priest would wear it, and it was a way for them to question God's um, yes or no answers. It was to be kept with the tabernacle. It was not to be placed in anywhere but where the tabernacle was. That is Christianity on my terms. It's homemade religion, and then what the family is symbolizing here is what is happening in Israel. This is a picture that, in the Bible of normal Jewish life in this era, and it's it's Judaism on my terms, but for us today, it's Christianity on our terms. And it's really when we say we're not going to follow the God is King and His Word as His authority. And so Micah's family, they're claiming to follow Yahweh and all this. They're claiming to be doing this in the name of the Lord. And they've abandoned Scripture, and it's become subjective. Religion is now subjective, which means that it's subject to people's opinions. And the result is worship um, of a God that no longer exists. They are not worshiping the true God. They're worshiping a different God. Because they've moved so far away from the source of who God is, the truth of who God is, that they're no longer even worshiping him. That's the point of the text, is that we get to a place as humans, as the culture of humanity, where we filter out things about God to the point we recast him into somebody that's not even him. And as believers, as we want to make sure that we're not doing that. And the only way to ensure that we're in truth is by checking our beliefs against the Holy Scriptures. Otherwise, it's subjective. It's how, you know, what What are you thinking about this? What are you thinking about this? What's your opinion? And that's exactly what they were doing here. And it's a scary thought that, that we would do that. And so uh, you may say, that's where I... I don't do believe that, but let's make sure that we're passing that as much as we possibly can if we, you know, if we're already there and guarding our families from these problems. And that's why it's, uh, again, let's bring it into the home with the fourth problem. It says the fourth problem of leaving the authority of scriptures, our homes become the place that's full of idols. And Micah, he that's the takeaway here. Micah's Mother built the idol, and they put it in their home, and their home became an idol factory. It became a place where they were doing things like consecrating their son to worship this false god. And I know you know this proverb 14.12, Proverbs 14.12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That's where they're at. And they're doing this in the name of being spiritual people. They're spiritual people. They're religious people. And there's a sad thing happening here where they're calling something Christianity. They're calling something true religion when it's actually false Christianity. And again, what we see is that when when one generation begins here to, to question the authority of the Scripture, when one generation begins to say, Well, maybe we can make some decisions by conforming God into who we want him to be. When that generation, they may very well still have people that are truly being converted because they're... And I don't know where that line is, as I said before, but there might truly be conversions in that generation... And there may be conversions in you know, the generation we live in where people are not truly sold out to the truth and authority of Scripture, but I will assure you in the next generation, it will lose its power to save people. When your homes become idle factories, even if you have truly saved people inside them, you're on a destiny and you're on a track where future generations are not going to be able to be saved, because the God that they're trying to find salvation in has been redefined so that he's not even the real Jesus. He's my Jesus that doesn't ever send anybody to hell or whatever their definition of Jesus is. And so our homes become places when we begin to say, well, I can't use the Bible to make decisions, so I'll use society to make decisions And and, and I think this can happen in both saved Christians, but oftentimes it explains why people will say, I am a Christian, but their lifestyle has major sin in it that is unconfessed. I encounter oftentimes people that are professing to be Christians who are living with people before they get married. And they're doing it. Oftentimes couples will say, let's try it out and see if it works because it's a good approach if we're compatible, and then if we can get along and after we've lived together for a while, then we'll get married because it seems like that would be the the smart thing to do. That's Christianity on my terms. That ought to trouble us. You know, this explains why many young Christians today, and I put Christians in quote, that I don't know how many of them, but I know that many churches, because I talk to pastors And and they tell me that they're having problems with a lot of the young people in their churches having abandoned a a premarital sexual purity on the grounds that it's unreasonable today. That's Christianity on my terms. And so again, we need to um, ask, what in my life? Is like that, first and foremost. What thing am I using where I'm basically redefining who God is and saying I'll kind of ignore that part of the scriptures in order to do what's right in my own eyes? So we got to judge ourselves first and take care of ourselves. But on the other hand, we also need to be praying for people and modeling for people that we follow the scriptures. Because a lot of what people are looking at, they're they're looking at our lives and they're saying, who is like Jesus? Let me look at your life. You tell me who is like Yahweh. And I'll look at you to see if what I'm supposed to see about what it means to be a Christ follower I can see in your life. And when they, they catch your Christianity by seeing how important the Scriptures are to you, And they see that you're not trying to redefine who God is or you're not living for idols and all of these things that are problems in your life you're avoiding. And and the last problem is probably the scariest of all. And the final problem when we move into the realm of not trusting God's word is the authority is that number five, children will learn a a false gospel and very likely fail to know God's will. And so again, bring it back. Micah had his son. He went out and he said, "Son, I want to teach. I want you now to become my priest." You can't do that. And there were specific ways and codes that Moses had set up. You had to be a Levite. They were not. They were from Ephraim. They didn't have the right to pick and choose who would intercede for them and who would be their priest. And again, he's making these ephods and giving it to him. He's basically, in my view, at the epitome of sin because what he's doing here is teaching his children a false gospel to get to heaven. He's basically saying this is how you get to heaven and it's false. And the children certainly don't know that they were created for the glory of God. If we don't prioritize the Bible in our daily walk, people don't see in our family that it's a priority in our life by the fact that we're reading it and applying it and seeking to live out what it says in totality, then we are failing our children. And we're failing to promote the gospel. And so that's really what I want to encourage you to do tonight. And keep in mind that Micah's family, they're doing all this in the name of religion. It's They were spiritual people, but it was spirituality on their terms. It was Christianity on their terms. And the Bible demands, first and foremost, that we come to him on his terms every day. The Bible demands every day that we say, God, you created us, and you are not only creator, but you're the king. And we come to him not as some good luck charm and not as the big man upstairs, but we come in awe. Of the tri- Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we come and we we come and bow before Him, saying that that we are mere servants of the King. And any other approach to God, any other entry point to coming to God, is unbiblical. And so tonight, and I'm looking around, if somebody's here tonight and you're not a Christian. by by the meaning of having been born again, I want to urge you tonight to realize you can't be saved and go to heaven until you come to Jesus Christ as King and Lord. You come to Him on His terms, not on your own terms. And His terms are surrender, unconditional surrender. And so I want to encourage you to do that even where you're sitting tonight. And I want to ask our Christians to bow and let's just spend a moment in prayer We'll play one more song, just a brief opportunity to worship before we leave. But I just want to encourage you tonight to ask the Lord to show you your heart. I'm so thankful that you're here tonight. I'm thankful we're looking at a part of Scripture that we never look at, but it's a powerful text because it shows us how important it is for us to cling to the Word of God tonight so that we cling to the true God. and follow His will for our life. Is there anything in your life that you need to get right with God tonight? Is there anything that God has said, you're coming to me on your terms and tonight you need to come on my terms? It's Christianity, God said, on my terms. We can't say, I'm coming to you, God, and here's what I'm holding back. We've got to come to God on His terms. Jesus paid it all, and all to Him we owe. I want to encourage you to make a commitment to the Word of God in your families, in your personal life, and in your example to people, and seek to live it out, to make real decisions in real life according to the Word of God. Ask God tonight to help you to do that. Let true Christianity be the mark of your family. We hope this message will help you in your spiritual walk and growth. For more about Ridgecrest, please visit us on the web at www.rbc-tuscaloosa.com. Have a great day. And God bless.